1: Hello and welcome to Footcandle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Chris. Hello, podcast listeners. Chris, how are things going? Uh, we creep into the holiday season here. You doing okay?
2: Uh, things are going well. I've got a lot of movies to catch up on to before I try to like consider what I liked and didn't like with the best movies of the year because... It's ticking down you know there and there are a bunch still to come. there are a lot of movies that haven 't quite come to local cinema yet, so it's going to be a struggle
1: well you are uh, you are kind of uh, highlighting a little bit of one of our news items later in the show as oh, we okay. do talk about the fact that we are getting to the end of the year, and yes we need to start sharpening our focus on those films right. that we need to see that are getting a lot of buzz right now
2: because I'm sure some of you listening probably have seen other people's top ten lists or like you know lists, however long they be and I'm sure you're wondering what ours are and unfortunately. They've been we waiting. I can't tell you that yet. They I know. Remember, <laughs> guys,
1: it's, it's not even the end of December. We've still got one twelfth of the year to go here as we go through the month <laughs> of December. Uh, but we will be working towards that year-end list, and that's something we'll talk about as we get into news a little bit later. But on today's show, what we're going to be doing is reviewing two films that are still out in theaters as of the time of this recording. It'll be Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them, the uh, prequel to the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. And then we'll also be talking about the film Arrival, starring a Miss uh, Amy Adams and a Mr. Jeremy Renner, and directed by, oh boy, Dennis Villano, 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 sure. uh, Villano, Villanova. <laughs> can I just say Villanova? Villanova? It's college basketball time. I can remember Villanova. Sure. Um, so we're going to say Villanova. Uh, my apologies to to Dennis for mispronouncing his last name, which I'm sure we are. I
2: don't think we're alone. I think a lot of people get it's a tripped up it's with a his tricky name. one.
1: But uh, we will be talking about his latest film, Arrival, as well. Uh, after that, we'll have a couple of news items to discuss in the world of films. And then we'll end up the show, as always, with our recommendation of the episode. A film or variation on a film that we think you ought to check out online that should be available especially as you go into the holiday season we're recording this in between thanksgiving and christmas it's a great time to get the family together watch some films or if family's driving you a little nuts slink off into another room (laughs) and watch a film by yourself so you've got some options there chris how about you say we jump into fantastic beast and see if we have any success in finding them let's do it
0: You've known for 24 hours that an unregistered wizard set magical beasts loose in New York. Yes. Where is this man? So, you're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? He was first.
1: Chris, we have the film Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them. Uh, this is directed by David Yates, who directed the last several Harry Potter installments. I think he did from the fourth one on. Am I thinking correctly with that? Something like that. I'm not sure. I know he didn't do all of them, but yeah, he definitely directed maybe goblet of fire through the end of the series.
2: I think that's right.
1: I know he at least did the last three in a row, if not four in a row. Gotcha. So he became kind of the standard bearer for the Harry Potter series after going through Chris Columbus, Uh, And then you had a Quran and then you had, um, um, gosh, that may have been it. That may have been the only two directors before David Yates.
2: Because that gets you to the third and the fourth would have been Goblet of Fire. Yeah, I think that was it. If he did
1: Goblet of Fire, then you're good. So I think he pretty much carried the torch for the Harry Potter series director-wise. And then, of course, the writer, J.K. Rowling. This is an interesting situation in that uh, this book was written after the Harry Potter series I think in the business side of things, this is maybe written as a way to, hey, we want to have another film series franchise and book franchise, so JK, can you hook us up? And she (laughs) did. So she wrote the actual story and I believe the screenplay for, to some degree, some of the screenplay for this new new saga. That's that's my
2: understanding. And I think when she presented it, it was not only this movie, but I think... There are at least like two more that are already kind of laid out, maybe more than that. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But yeah, she's definitely responsible. So the the idea of this story is it does take place well before Harry Potter ever reaches Hogwarts school. Uh, But we follow the adventures of a writer. His name is Newt Scamander and he visits New York city, which is kind of interesting. You know, we're actually coming stateside here for this, this tale. Right. Uh, And he is with Hogwarts um, I'm going to be asking a lot of question marks because I'm actually <laughs> not exactly sure myself. Uh, he's a kind of an activist. He's, he's, he's a protector of these magical creatures and there's a creature that's possibly causing damage in New York city that he's come to help smooth things out. Um, and that's where I start to get a little hazy. And I don't want to jump too far ahead in my review. Sure. So let me just toss it over to you first. You are more of a Harry Potter fan than I was. Yeah, I I read all the books. You read all the books. You saw all the films. Yep. I honestly stopped with number three, film-wise. I've seen clips of the other films, and they're on TV in the background, but I don't pay attention to them. And my wife read several of the books to our oldest son when he was growing up. Gotcha. When he was really young. And I've picked up p- bits and pieces. Sometimes I would read a chapter or two, but I wasn't really into the books either. Sure. So you and I are approaching this film from probably very different perspectives. I'm very interested to hear your take on this film, knowing that it is a continuation or a pre- prelude to the stories that you know very well from the books. Uh, does this continue what you wanted to see in a Harry Potter film series, or did it take a, uh, a turn for the worse? <laughs>
2: You know, I'm sure there have been other instances of this, but of like, you know, something that was a book series and they made movies and then they created a spinoff that had nothing to do, like, you know, things like this have been done, but keeping the original writer in mind, and it was kind of her idea, or I don't know if it was her idea, but she wanted to make the money, but having her such heavy involvement in this new venture, like kind of, you know, going back in the prehistory, it's really interesting, and I think... I liked the Harry... It goes without saying. I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast. I've liked the Harry Potter books. You know, I'm a big reader. And I think, did the movies in my mind match up to the books? Well, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But it was still fun. I still enjoyed seeing the movies. This movie was really interesting because you can tell that JK Rowling had a lot to do with it. I mean, cause it's her kind of sensibilities and kind of some of the quirk. And of course the ridiculous names, I mean, newt Scamander. <laughs> it's like, why not just call yeah. him Salamander, you know, newt right. Sal- but yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the whimsy and kind of the fun that was in the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. But I will say I, I did enjoy the movie. Um, I liked it better than I guess I thought I would, because I was kind of, you know, by the time the last Harry Potter movie came out, you know, I'd finished reading the book I already knew how everything was going to turn out. I won't say I was fatigued, but I was kind of like, okay, and it's done and we're good and we've moved on. So when I heard they were going to do kind of this, you know, not rebooting, but kind of prequel type thing, I kind of thought, well, I'm glad she's involved, but it just seems like a cash grab. I wonder Mm -hmm. if there's any really meat to the ideas that are going to be going on. But I admired it, the fact that Harry Potter is not in it at all. Now, granted, that would have simplified things because then you wouldn't have a title that's so ridiculously long. (laughs) (laughs) Because you want to call it Fantastic Beast, but that really doesn't play that much of a part in the movie, really, kind of. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess they could have just called it The Wizarding Wizarding World or something like somehow identified it. But I don't know how because... did Did you read the book? Okay, so here's the thing. With this movie, my understanding was the book came out maybe like a day or two before the movie hit theaters. Oh, wow. So nobody has... Oh, nobody. Okay, so it wasn't
1: a... People reading the books and then expecting the movie. Really, the movie was like a fresh new thing for anybody. Well, if anything,
2: it. it's kind of like um, back in the day. You know how they, they had the Star Wars movies, and then you would go to B. Dalton's. Okay, most of you out there probably have no idea oh, what B. Dalton's, B. Dalton's is or Walden oh, yeah. Books, but you would walk in and you would see like Star Wars, and it would say the novel by so and so, and then you're like, oh, cool. So there's a book, but basically they just take the screenplay and kind of change a couple of okay, things Okay, so and there turn was not a book. a
1: book, a novel written. This was really it was the, it was the movie was written. And in a book came along with it as a written form of the of correct, the movie. but okay. the idea was movie first. All right. And
2: now, okay, this is where it gets really complicated and really nerdy. Mm-hmm. This character, Newt Scamander, and the book that he is, I guess, writing during the yeah. course of this because he's like doing research for this book that he's going to make. It is a textbook. It is used at Hogwarts and referenced so by that's Hagrid the big connection by point Hermione. There. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this was talked about, but that was kind of it, you know. But sure. then it was like, oh, well, how can we make another movie? She's and she, I guess, she said, well, here's a whole Somebody interesting stuff, subplot- right? To write. And wouldn't that be an interesting thing? Like the yeah. making of this book, and then you could follow the pre Harry yeah. Potter days. So, enough meat there. I will say, my, I like the movie okay, but I thought, and I think this is where you were kind of hinting at structure wise and kind of plot wise, it got a little messy. Oh,
1: you think a little, a little, yeah. okay. All right. Um, and like, I, I'll, I'll actually sure. say
2: that I think, and I don't know whether the director should have reined in the screenplay or whether rolling, you know, cause it's her mm-hmm. first time. Actually, I think she may have helped with some of the other screenplays, but when you write a book, you cram in lots of ideas and you have mm-hmm. as much time or as many pages basically as you want. And this movie had a lot of interesting ideas and I usually don't care about things being confusing. Um, mm-hmm. Note, we'll get to that over the arrival. <laughs> uh,
1: so this actually feeds that's, that's into our a next review. That's teaser for that's our right. next review. <laughs>
2: um, you know, and I've gone many times, like, I don't care if I'm confused a lot of times. Yeah. I like to be confused. I can sure. be surprised or whatever. And I kind of give movies credit sometimes, even if the, all the pieces don't exactly fit, as long as they make kind of an effort sometimes. Yeah. But this movie, I felt like it was kind of like they were rushing. Oh, They were rushing too much. You know, it's like, okay, we'll we'll give you another seven movies, J.K. Rowling and David Yates. Take Take your your time. time. Take your time time. with it. Um, And I think I can kind of narrow this down to the fact that there is a shadowy bad guy here um, (laughs) and his name is Grindenwald?
1: Oh, the one that is, is just mentioned right. sporadically throughout the film. Right. Yes. Grindelwald. And you
2: see articles of newspaper in the very beginning trying to yeah. clue you in like, okay, we're taking you way back before Harry Potter starts. He's not Potter the bad starts. guy.
1: Well, okay. Not, we're not getting into spoilery stuff, but he is not the considered the main bad guy for the duration of the film until you find he's out. A sh- he's a he's, shadowy he's, figure. He is a shadowy figure that actually has some involvement throughout the film that you, you find out about later.
2: Now, that being said, I don't know anyone now, granted, I haven't talked to everyone in the United States. I don't have time for that research, but in my car going home, yes. you know, overall sentiment between my wife and my kids was, Oh yeah, we liked it. And then my daughter kind of said, well, what do you think Dad?" was she always do, and tries to nails me down. I try to be generally positive about movies mm-hmm. that I know she's going to like cause I don't want to like shatter her dreams. But I said, well, <laughs> you know, I thought it dad. was a, I thought it was a little confusing sometimes, maybe needlessly. So, and she kind of, echoed that and then I started to give examples and then everyone in the car kind of piled on. Yeah, And it's not that they walked out thinking, oh this is a terrible movie you start this is a Fantastic it. Four or something yeah. but the example I gave was the shadowy character of Renewald. I pretty much knew what was, I felt like I pretty much knew what was going on with him from the moment the movie started. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie it was kind of like they acted, you know, there was this appearance of him and they were made out of this big deal. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I was yeah, kind of like, of we all was knew that. And instead of spending so much time on keeping that a secret, why not just have him be in the movie the whole time? Like yep. why,
1: why bother? Because- oh, I know why they bother <laughs> because it's a cool way to have a cool cameo at the end well, and make it like a big surprise thing when you're right. I, I thought it was very predictable uh, anyway, I, 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 I'll, I'll well, get to my stuff here in a second, but yeah, I get where you're going with that. It was a, uh, uh, it was made confusing and messy, needlessly so. Right. When there's several ways this could have been simplified and still been a very enjoyable movie.
2: And I think you know the Harry Potter movies, there usually was kind of a reveal or a surprise, mm-hmm. like you know in the first movie. I'm not spoiling anything. It's been a long time, guys where voldemort was hiding out he was hiding out in that teacher one of the teachers yeah he kind of possessed the teacher
1: and you got little hints throughout the film that somebody might be a little askew and they were kind of leading you to believe maybe maybe snape was kind of the one channeling him right but it was still kind of a little bit of a surprise when it's like oh no it's this guy and i'm like oh cool okay that's that's a nice little surprise and
2: in your favorite prisoner of azkaban Mm -hmm. same type thing they had you know there's um Harry Potter's like uncle or whatever, his mm-hmm. godfather, and they say, Oh, he's an ask man, he's bad and everything. But it turns out he's actually not. And right. he kind of helps save things and so th-
1: those so, are nice cinematic surprises and plot twists that make you think differently about the characters.
2: And I think with this, you know, <laughs> they were so concerned about keeping the Harry Potter world, which I think they did fine with. They had enough of the magic and the terms, and you know, the muggle this, and oh, it's called a nomad in America. Fine. And they referenced Hogwarts a little bit. And the fact that Newt Scamander is now the base, the main character, that mm-hmm. does, you know, it, yeah. it tied enough. But some of the things, like the whole red herring and the whole Grindelwald thing, I feel like was a misstep. For this movie, they yeah. could have just let it be let well, it be a
1: movie. somebody that is a maybe twist. made well. The problem is and again, I'm dancing all around this, but the sure. problem with that whole the whole antagonist, the whole the villain, is that it's it's made out pretty clear early in the film that this one character who's posing as a certain good person is not a good person. That's that is pretty much explained, I think, fairly like midway through the film. Well, so yeah. then to have that person then be turned out to be someone different. It's like, who cares? Why, yeah. why not just, Hey, all along, this was this bad person. And you know, why have the, does it have to be another reveal later on? That's where it, it, to me, got just a little pointless. And it's almost like, well, we could have one big name actor or we could have two playing this part. How cool would <laughs> that be? And have a really cool cameo at the end. And that, I thought that was just a little pointless. Um, and
2: yeah. And I will say that I'm, I'm still on board to see these other movies. It's an interesting okay. world. I still like Harry Potter. I'm still fond enough of it, but the cameo that seems to lead to what could develop in the next movie, I'm kind of scared of because that seems like it could drag it
0: yeah. down. Nah, further. I'm I'm, I, this
2: movie, I you know, I think it was, I think it was okay. I like it okay. Well, it's, like me- th- it's like a it's like a three star movie, but I'm afraid Ooh. that having we got a four or five. Three out of five. Okay. All right. That's all right. So I'm afraid that they could drag it down farther with where they're going. But I I tend to trust J.K. Rowling more than that. Okay.
1: Well, um, here, we'll here's see. my take on the and film. I,
2: yeah. Give me your take. And then because I've been seemingly just bashing it, I need to justify some of my three stars. Well, so I'll come back and give some positives. Well, I'm
1: going to go and give some positives first. Okay, I good. do have some positives to give. Um, I really like the tone and style of the film. Okay. I think the setting, 1920s New York, awesome. I think maybe the fact that I actually saw this when I was in New York City oh. maybe helped accentuate that a little bit more, okay. but I do really like the tone and style of the film.
2: Did you see it in 3D or regular? No, just
1: regular. Okay. Um, I think the I think the creatures, the beast, very imaginative. I like the style of all those, how they're all brought out and introduced and kind of the different personalities of the different beasts. Uh, all of that was really cool. This And even like the concepts involved, like, you know, So Newt can get into his suitcase, which basically opens him up to his little zoo where he keeps all these creatures and maintains them and feeds them. All that imagination was really, really cool. So I like the concept. I like the tone. I like the style. Scene-wise, I will say I think the Central Park scene, which was kind of an action scene with one of the bees, I thought was pretty fun. Hmm. Uh, It was enjoyable. It was kind of exciting to watch. (laughs) that's about it for me. I I think, I think I like the tone and style and the look of the film. I just, the story just really, really disappointed me. I'll say keeping on positives a little bit more. I I thought acting across the board was okay. I will say I saw, I thought Alison Sudol who played Queenie, I really liked her. I just, she just had a really fun personality. She's kind of the sister to the main female. And she fit the 1920s New York tone that I think they were establishing with the film as well, which I liked a lot. Um, Talk about Eddie Redmayne when we get to the uh, negatives in a moment. The
2: Eddie Redmayne
1: referendum. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my positives anyway. I'm done with my positives. Okay. Do you have some positives? Sure, right in there? I do.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'm there with you. Same page as far as the tone and the creatures, animations, my favorite. I don't have no idea what it was called because that's no. J.K. Rowling. And she comes up with all these crazy names. And I haven't read a book. If I'd read a book that had the names in it, I would probably remember sure. it. Um, but it, it was the major... Beast that they kind of centered around was creating a lot of havoc in New York and was kind of like the dark force. I'm I'm going to call it smoke in a bubble. (laughs) Yeah, so that's not what the creature's name is, but it's like this dark force that's kept in like this bubble thing and floats around and gets out and creates all sorts of craziness. Um, I liked our introduction to it down in kind of like you said, um, Scamander Zoo. Yeah, and then you know you see it kind of out in the wild, out in New York, and all this Mm -hmm. kind of crazy stuff, and it plays a big part in the end. I I liked the animation, the theory behind it, the action scenes. Yeah. I was, I was okay with, you Mm -hmm. know, for such a big movie and it going more towards like crazy action. That could have been more chaotic, especially as it like rampages through the city. It worked. I thought it was done well. David Yates, you know, did a good job with it. Um, You called out the actress who played uh, Queenie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call out. I really, really liked uh, Catherine Watterson who played her sister, Tina, Mm -hmm. who was kind of the, I mean, Main actress and kind of, I guess, love interest for Newt's commander. We'll see yeah. where that storyline goes. But they, you know, play off each other. She, she was, arrests. She was, she was good. Mm-hmm. She arrests him because he's in New York City illegally and all this kind of stuff. So Is she. That what of, happened?
1: Is that, okay, I'm sorry. Just <laughs> yeah. I gotta try yeah. piece this. Together, I mean, still.
2: that's yeah. He's there with Beast, and she kind of arrests him. Is she arrests an <laughs> unregistered wizard. You're supposed to register oh, when you come to New York City,
1: right? Okay. So,
2: um, <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, but I, I really liked her. Um, okay. I really, I just thought she was awesome in the role. I also liked Dan Fogler who played Kowalski, who is a guy who does not do magic, but ends up helping. Oh, he's a no He is a no match. Yes. yes. Not a muggle anymore. All right. He was the, kind of the partner,
1: uh, along was, with Newt most of the film. Right. Yeah. He yeah, yeah, was, was like good. Two he guys was and two
2: ladies. You're right. He was um, good. Yeah. So interestingly enough, so. Overall, like the film, um, the, some of the performances I thought were good. The you know setting, tone, all that, and it kept me entertained. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I feel like she was kind of shortchanged a little bit. Samantha Morton, who plays, basically, she's this person who is, you know, it's kind of like holding the Salem witch trials in New York City. Mm-hmm. She's very outspoken. Says wizards very are anti-wizards. Yeah. yeah, she's like all going around. I feel like. You know, there again, we're just solving everything, David Yates and J.K. Rowling. Just take our advice and simplify things and only have, like, instead of doing the Spider-Man 3 where you pummel on as many bad guys as you can, just keep it simple and I have, just, like, one bad guy. Oh, that, like,
1: whole that whole plot was just so messy. I know.
2: And, like, I've, she is a good actress, and I liked her in this, but I feel like they kind of pushed her to the background, and that was a mistake. They should have just let it be more of, like, she was the menace of the movie.
1: Um, yeah, or they, something. They, I, I don't know what they could have done to fix all that. Yeah, her yeah. her role, um, the whole barebone family, which is Ezra Miller, was like, you know, a young the oldest boy in the group. Yeah, he yeah. was credence, and it's like, I still even at the end of the film didn't really quite understand what his relationship was to everybody else, and exactly how he got brought into the plot as 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 much as he did.
2: And see, I um, I think that's something that I'm sure in a book it had Grace. there had there been books. In and novel, this is a book sense, that we can go out and didn't. buy now because the movie has been made. Yeah. But that's laziness to just say, Oh, the book will explain it. Well, and I kind of left the theater thinking, you know, had this been a book first, you know, I've all watching the Harry Potter movies. I love them. I love the books and I thought the movies were just okay. But I always wondered like, what would happen if I was like Alan and I just walked in and saw the movie and didn't have any context. Would I like them? Mm-hmm. And so this was an interesting exercise where, okay. Same writer, same idea, same world. And I walked out thinking, you know what? I think I would have liked the book better because there's a lot of stuff that's just hanging and loose ends mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Well, I even and it was kind of dissatisfied. It wasn't confusing in a good way. Mm-hmm. It was confusing and just like, yeah, see, that was my right?
1: clarification. When you're talking about other films that you come out confused, I, I have no problem with confusion either. If confusion was because it's leaving a lot of questions unanswered for your brain to process. Right. When it's confusion by putting in way too many characters, too many subplots, without giving proper explanation for what's going on most of the time. And you're leaving a lot of the direction and that understanding to the dialogue voiced by Eddie Redmayne, who I could not understand <laughs> half the time he was on the film. Well,
2: that's probably because he always he kept mumbling. his head tilted oh, like like and degree mumbling angle. every single
1: thing <laughs> he says. So... I even not written my notes. on like, you know, because I was assuming there was a novel written that people could read before they went to go see the movie. Right. So I'm like, should a film require the viewer to read the book to first to fully enjoy it? And I'm like, no, it should not. Right. And I was going to be so frustrated. I'm like, well, this is one of those situations where I'm sure you read the book weeks in advance and you can see the movie. It's great. Now that I'm hearing that the novelization just came out at the same time as the book, I'm like, okay, that it makes me even more frustrated because there's not even a book to rely on no. beforehand. So So everybody
2: seeing this film, unless they went out and bought it like on Wednesday, because I think the book actually came out maybe a day, like, you know, unless they ran out and bought the book and read it overnight and then went and saw the movie, everybody was in the same boat as you I should
1: not come out of a film still quite not sure what the point of the film was. Right. I didn't understand what the resolution was. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand exactly why Newt was there in the first place. And knowing that I heard at one point what his goal for being there was, his goal for being there did not match up with hardly any of the actions he made throughout the film. It's almost like he was there for a reason, but yet once he got there, his reasons are now that these beasts are getting out of his suitcase and he has to go get them all. I'm like, okay, well, but that's not why you came to New York to let beasts loose. (laughs) You came here to do something else. And why aren't you doing that? (laughs) You know, why are you doing everything else? It's like, I don't understand the purpose of anything. I don't understand why he's here. I don't understand what the relationship is between him and the Colin Farrell character Graves and the organization that's going on. It was all just like throw out names and titles and let you try to just work it out in your brain throughout the next two and a half hours. That's not a fun film experience. I mean, if you're going to give me a challenge, give me a challenge to think about. Give me a rival that we'll talk about later in the show. (laughs) Don't just give me a bunch of names and terms and beast and – backstory and then nothing really fits together and i've got too many things to keep in mind and i get to the end of the film and it's supposed to be this nice the new character is leaving and going off and i'm like i don't really care because i don't feel like i understood what he was here to begin with right i don't understand what he did when he was here and i just i didn't get any of it so that was my whole issue with the film that's why if i if i turn off the dialogue and didn't hear any of the sound and just watch the film. It's a cool looking film. Sure. I just don't get it. What the story was all about or what I think I had a little bit of a George Lucas syndrome. Oh, in that I feel like George Lucas has these great ideas. Mm-hmm. He can visually see it in his head. He knows what he wants things to look like. He can add the names. He can have the characters. He can have all the situations, but actually creating a cohesive story that's enjoyable it didn't work with George Lucas, I feel like, on Episodes 1, 2, and 3, where sure. he was writing. Sure. And I think it's happening here with this film, too. I think J.K. Rowling, great with the novels, but then she needed somebody else to take her novel and say, Okay, let's turn this into actually a two-hour movie. Agreed. And I didn't feel like it And I
2: remember here. Goblet of Fire, interestingly enough, if mm-hmm. that is the one David Yates came on board with, which I think it is, that book was great, and the movie was good, too. But they stripped out a huge they had chunk,
1: to.
2: yeah. Of, and I remember people being like, "Oh, they didn't do basically." I think it had to do around the house elves, and there were there was like all this uprising mm-hmm. and stuff, and that whole subplot was
1: totally taken out. But it made for but a good movie. To. I mean, you can't do or else you're going to have a two and a half hour jam packed chaotic movie that's not fun to watch. So I I blame
2: overall I blame the screenplay and I blame yeah. you know the the direction well, maybe agree. not you know kind of talking back and forth and making it more cohesive. Eddie Redmayne, you and I both kind of mentioned here again. I don't, I think from a casting standpoint, probably a perfect choice for Newt's commander. I don't blame this movie. I just don't think they didn't give him script wise enough to do. And I think it's because, you know, it's like his book that he's writing and they chose to follow him, but I'm going to throw out there here again, a way to fix things. If actually Tina Catherine Waterston, if it had all been from her perspective,
1: Oh, that would have been interesting. Like she's
2: working in New York. Yeah. She's working for this magic agency. And here all comes, of a sudden a guy from here England comes shows this weird up, dude. He's kind of handsome yeah. and whatever, but then all this chaos, but, right? but kind of take it from that perspective as opposed to taking it from his perspective. Cause I agree. It's kind of unclear why he stays around unclear. Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it
1: just didn't work. Having him as the main character we fall. I agree. was a huge problem in the film. Right. Um, I just think Eddie Redmayne, you know, I I like the guy in some other films I've seen him in. I mean, I I thought the Danish girl, I think when we reviewed it, I admired his performance, but it was also irritating. I thought too Mm -hmm. his mannerisms and just his, his body ticks that he does when he performs. I thought, okay, well maybe that's just him trying to channel this, real life person in the Danish girl, but no, he carried over those exact same acting little ticks over this character. The talking with the cocked head kind of talking behind him and kind of a mumbled voice This everything he's saying has to sound very clever and kind of under his breath, cleverness. And I I honestly, I was in a really great Alamo draft house cinema watching this with a perfect sound system. (laughs) I could not understand half of what the guy said. Sure. So that alone made things just even more frustrating. It's like, here's the guy that's supposed to be walking me through this world. And I can't understand what he's saying half the time, Uh, or he's mumbling it, or he's just saying it in a very, just not, it's just not a way it's going to communicate and resonate with an audience very well. I don't feel like,
2: well, and I, yeah, I think he's a good actor, but his delivery and the way he chooses to do certain things, I kind of take issue with. I'm on the same page with you. And actually my wife who had watched the Danish girl with, and both of us were kind of like, "Eh, okay with the movie. It wasn't, you know, didn't bowl us ever. But after she, one of the things she piled on in the car, like I was mentioning, the kids were throwing out things. I was throwing out things. But she said, Andy Redmayne, he's basically just doing the Danish girl as yeah. a wizard. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm it's, like, well, you know, and it's just – The I, only time I've seen Eddie
1: Redmayne be different was uh, Jupiter Ascending. Okay. Okay. That was over the top crazy. And I kind of liked it. It was like an oh, annoying. Man. It was annoying, but at least he was doing something different. He Unless was doing something different. It was like a whole different actor there. Right. And I mean, I, Hey, you know what? The movie was nuts and his performance was nuts and it, it didn't work for me, but at least I admired the guy was doing something very, very different. You know, acting just, wise. I think
2: if he had just dialed his performance and maybe that's, they signed him on to be this, you know, outside of the box, really quirky, crazy guy to, at Newt Scamander. commander. And he'd actually just been normal, yeah, you know, and have all the magic and the creatures be all crazy, but he's very just normal. I there's just, nothing, there's nothing fantastic about Newt's commander. It's all his beat. but instead they made him too whimsical. And like, I, yeah, he was kind of hard to understand. I agree. He
1: He was going for whimsy when the story didn't need him to be whimsy. Everything yeah. else in the story brought the whimsy. He didn't need, he could be the grounded force. To walk us through it, but it was just so hard to follow. And I think that's guy. why
2: I responded so well to Tina, who yeah. was magical, she but was she grounded. was grounded. Yeah, and the Kowalski character, who he's he is a nomad, but they were just normal, and yeah. I felt they weren't spastic and they were very grounded. And I've, I really, I really well, enjoyed them.
1: I overall, I mean, I didn't go in with high expectations, and I I was disappointed. I just ah. I was hoping this would be a film that maybe I could grab a hold of and say, you know what, the Harry Potter thing. Never quite clicked for me, but here's a kind of a fresh new series I can follow. I love big, giant creatures and stories about monsters and beasts and all. So I was excited. And I just, and I love the New York setting in the 20s, but man, the story just killed me. Uh, I really wish there was a way, let J.K. Rowling write a story, mm -hmm. let somebody else write a screenplay of that story. Right. And yes, make some edits. Make some expository dialogue. Let us know what's going on. It's okay in a movie. You can. You have to do that to get it within two hours. Um, let her write her heart out in a novel. <laughs> Just give me a good screenwriter to put this into a two-hour block that makes sense and is enjoyable. So sure. That's my, that's my wish for the next film. If you want to get me on board, that's what has to happen. So right
2: outside now. of us having to review it for this show, would you go see that movie left to your own, like... Um, <laughs> lift your own devices. Would you go see the next, I don't even know. I guess they're going to call it fantastic
1: beast part two. Who knows? Uh, Um, I, it depends if it's, I know it's probably going to be still David Yates, which I have no problem with the directing. Sure. Um, and I know it's going to be Eddie Redmayne in the main role and that's whatever. Uh, if I heard there was a new screenwriter working with JK Rowling, I'd be more interested in going as it is now. If it's still her writing the screenplay, um, I would wait for it to come on Netflix or online or something.
2: And what I'm kind of hoping to, I know, you know, movies are all about making money and maybe there was a lot of pressure to assure people with this first film, you know, kind of make sure it tied back to Harry Potter and they wanted to throw all the stuff to try to make it, Mm -hmm. but maybe they'll kind of ease off the gas and maybe the next movie won't be as rushed. And now that we've kind of got, okay, here's the main character. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it'll kind of ease off and be a little bit better paced
1: we've just had plenty to say about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them Chris says he's okay with the movie me I'm disappointed in it we both seem to be sharing the same frustrations with it uh, but as well as also finding a few things we did like about it in common as well so that's Fantastic Beasts and where to find them uh, still playing in movie theaters as we record this doing fairly well money wise so I think we are pretty self-assured at this point there will be more Fantastic Beasts films Uh, to come out in the coming years. So with that, let's move on to our second film, which is uh, a science fiction film starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. It is called Arrival.
2: There are days that define your story beyond your life. (laughs) Like the day they arrived.
1: What might be called first contact, the objects measure at least...
0: I'm Colonel GT Weber from Army Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call him the UFO.
2: Denis Villeneuve. That's how I'm going to choose to say <laughs> his name. <laughs> um, his latest film, Arrival, is science fiction. So kind of a departure from his other films that he's made. Um, We've talked about and reviewed here on the show Prisoners, which was a thriller crime drama that was very intense. Mm -hmm. Talked about that. Then I don't know whether we reviewed it on the show, but I recommended it. And I think you also recommended or caught up with it. It was a movie that came out called Enemy starring Mm -hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal, which is a very psychological also thriller about a guy who has kind of a doppelganger going around. And then for some reason, there are also giant spiders
1: <laughs> at yes. different places in the movie. Which um, but... <laughs> uh, comes back to play, but anyway, go right. ahead.
2: Yes. So, you know, very, very interesting. Maybe um, both those movies favorably reviewed or liked by us. Sicario. Alan, I don't know if you caught up with this. Or I have not
1: yet. The I meaning to so it's on my watch list.
2: Okay. And Sicario came out and it was kind of like a, Uh, What was the movie by Soderbergh that was traffic? So it was Mm kind of like a drug movie with, you know, cartels going on and law enforcement battling with them. So kind of a different, different take. Instead of being a instead of being kind of psychological, it was more just like gritty reality with, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to fight drugs and having to make sacrifices sometimes on what you believe or what you think is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So interesting movies. And in all movies, the guy Mr. Villeneuve has had a very interesting way of telling stories and collaborating with cinematographers has had a definite look to his films, Mm -hmm. as well as kind of a pacing element to his films. Mm -hmm. Alan, what I want to know from you is with Arrival, do you feel like you can tell Mr. Villeneuve's stamp was on Arrival as being, oh, yes, this is his version of a science fiction movie. So first tell me if you feel like You know, his arturist vision came through with Arrival, or you can tell, yep, this is a a film of his. And then, you know, tell me some of your likes and dislikes about it.
1: Uh, Sure. Um, The answer is yes. Okay. I can definitely tell his directing style. And actually, the very first positive I wrote down on my sheet was this was a very, very well-directed film. Okay. I think visually, I think pacing, I think shot composition, everything is just perfect. I think the the way this film was directed, again, I'm talking about the performances that he's able to get, the way that people interact with the frame that they're in, um, is great. So mm-hmm. I think this guy knows how to direct a film, and I'm really <laughs> excited to see his version of Blade Runner coming out soon. Right. I'm really excited to see anything else he wants to tackle. Uh, I'm a big fan of all the films I've seen of his. Um, I'd never have caught up with this first film, which was in, in Cindy's.
2: Yeah. I've never seen it. I've never seen, seen it, but it was Oscar nominated for yeah. best
1: foreign film. I really wanted to see that. And it's is still on my list, but okay. I'm a big fan of both prisoners and enemy. I thought those were great films. This one, um, this one's probably my favorite of his films that I've seen so far. Um, I'm a big fan of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's one mm-hmm. of my top five films of all time. Okay. Yes, this film has a lot of similarities to that. But what I liked about this film is, it takes this big, big, earth-shattering story, mm-hmm. and boils it down to really two to three people. So even though we know that this is something that is happening, this alien—I don't know—it's not. I'm not going to call it invasion. It's alien arrival. Yeah. Is happening sure. worldwide. It is a worldwide issue. Every time a TV comes on, you see the grand scope of what's happening. But everything is so localized into just this one little camp area, within this one ship with these two or three people we're following. And that's what I liked about it. Where Close Encounters was a, yes, we followed the, the Neary family. We also saw scientists from all over the world. We saw conversations happening and people going around the globe, seeing these aliens or spaceships or occurrences happening. Everything here was so localized and it's right. just, I, it made me relate better. I really felt like, yes, we are in this tent talking with these people that are trying to figure out what to do next mm-hmm. based on what we just learned. It was a very immediate feel to it. So I thought, and that, I, I give all that to the director. The director made that happen. And I just, uh, I loved watching this film. I think the, every shot was great to view. Uh, it was just a, a really great experience from that. And I thought the story and the scope of the story was really good. Um, I I really enjoyed the story in general. I'd heard some complaints, but going into it, people, uh, complaining about the ending. Hmm. I, I personally liked the ending and I know we may have to do a little post spoilery talk about it because obviously it's kind of, it is a spoilery thing, you know, to get into. Um, I had very few negatives on this film. Um, got a couple, but they're really smaller, more preferences than they are negatives. I Hmm. wish they'd gone a different direction with some things. Okay. Um, but overall, I'm, I really liked it. I thought the acting was great. Nothing was a standout to me. I'm not going like, to sing anybody's praises for like, nominations or anything. But I thought they all played a very, very good serviceable role in the story. But I'm, just, I'm more of a fan of the directing of this film than anything right now. So what about you? How How's your thoughts? Well,
2: I had been anticipating this movie for a long time because I found out you know, he was going to do a science mm-hmm. fiction movie. And I knew the actors involved. And so I was like, okay. At first, I will say with me, I, I like this movie, Okay, but I, it did something that makes me, it kind of kicks it up another level. Like there are movies I like, and then because of how they end or because I'll say maybe I was fooled or my expectations while watching the movie were just kind of turned on their mm-hmm. head. And that's what makes this movie a real standout for me okay. in the genre. And then also of films this year, because mm-hmm. It, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. The trailers, you know, they show you a ship. You know she's a linguist, and it's kind of like, okay. And the movie starts, and you see um, interactions with her and her daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not spoiling anything. This happens literally in the first couple of minutes, people. Um, her daughter passes away, mm-hmm. and it's very sad. And you're like, okay, and you kind of think you know. <laughs> you kind of get how it's going to inform certain things and not that that's a problem, but you're like, okay, that's, that's kind of typical, but whatever. And the movie progresses and um, she's interacting more with the aliens and things. And it's, so it was, I was good. I will say the pace of it too. I kind of felt like this is kind of slow for me maybe Mm -hmm. Um, because I wasn't being surprised or I wasn't Mm -hmm. excited. Like alien interactions were interesting, but they weren't like really dynamic or mm-hmm. really cool stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. The ships, interesting things, but they're again not very dynamic. So the pace of the movie is kind of going like 25 miles an hour, to use mm-hmm. the whole gas pedal analogy from Fantastic Beasts. And I thought, just because I thought I knew how everything was, where it was going, where it was heading, I was kind of, you know, in the middle of the movie, I was kind of disappointed. I'm like, yeah, this is okay, but, you know, I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm disappointed. But how everything comes into comes into view at the end of the film and how things tie together and you get perspective mm-hmm. at the end of the movie that you hadn't had, that floored me. Mm. And it generated a lot of interesting discussion that we can't have because spoiler talk, we'd have to mm-hmm. wait. Afterwards, kind of the people that I went to go see it with, we were kind of talking like, "Well, what was your interpretation of that ending? Do you think they meant it this way, or do mm-hmm. you think they meant it this way?" And that, you know, that to me, like I said, just kicks this movie up a whole nother level. And I,
1: I really liked it. That's I, the you know? better form of confusion right. that you were talking about. Exactly. This is the kind of where the director knows what he's doing,
2: exactly, but he
1: wants to pose a lot of open-ended questions for you to think through. To and how I'm, do you
2: choose to interpret I'm it? I'm totally cool with to that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you saw that he leaves all the clues on the table. So it's just how you choose to piece things together as opposed to other movies that are confusing because it's like, wait, they never resolved this or something Mm. like that.
1: So I I agree. I I was with this film actually the whole way through. I, 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 like the pacing. Okay. I get so burnt out just on films that just try to go too fast, too quick. And one set piece to another. I like that this one really just let things set in a little bit more. I mean, even, uh, I even like the opening 15 minutes or so where, you know, these spaceships are showing up and you're actually seeing our main character and the Amy Adams character playing Louise. You actually see her kind of going through still her job. And it's like, as a teacher and it's like, all of a sudden there's like nobody showing up for her class. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's little things that, it's like, yeah, that would totally happen if this right. was going on. Like nobody would show up for their college class. Right. Everybody would be at home watching TV or on their cell phone. And it's like little moments like that just let us kind of tiptoe into the story a bit more. And then, you know, she gets picked up and rushed off to the alien site. And then it does kind of go to a little bit quicker pace for a little bit. A little bit. But even the whole dialoguing with the aliens was a very slow, drawn out process, which is what it would be if you're doing this. I mean, you're not going to walk up, see an alien, and he's going to say, oh, here's everything that I want to <laughs> tell you in one time. It's like they got to try to figure it out. And it's, you get a little bit of the frustration they get in that. Okay, I just heard a word, but yet I'm not hearing the whole story. I don't know what that means, so it's frustrating. You get that same sense that I think the characters do, too. So I I, I was on board pacing everything of this. Um,
2: this is the, you know, I think about it as it's Independence
1: Day for the art house
2: crowd. Uh, yeah. so you know, much, Because it's, so, it's an alien movie. It's big scale, big budget, big actors, but there's more to it than just stuff blowing up. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: Well, there are two similarity film wise that are two films that I like that. I felt like this kind of plays in the nice same universe with, okay. I said, close encounters. Mm-hmm. I do feel like this has got a very close encounters feel to it. I'd be shocked if the director was not somehow inspired by some of the scenes, just the dialogue communication where they're trying to communicate with aliens. I mean, that is so very typical. The, the devil's tower scene from close encounters. Sure. Um, and then the other one's Interstellar, which I know you're not the biggest fan of, but there's a lot to chew on. Interstellar was a much more complex film. It was. It was a lot more overall film. I'll give it that. Uh, it had a lot more exposition behind it to kind of let you know what was happening. You know. But, it was, but I'm, I, let me just say it, sure. it was the, the fact that you've got a big sci-fi concept that ultimately boils down to a very human right. story. Right. is what I really liked from it. And I think Interstellar worked for me in that level. It was a very emotional. You're taking a big science fiction epic event and bulleting them down to a human being and the impact they have on it. That's the same thing we got from this story as well. Sure. And I, there was one line, again, not spoiling anything, but it was a line that the Jeremy Renner character said about midway through the film. He's talking with the Amy Adams character just outside the spaceship, just relaxing for a little bit he made the comment and said, you know, it just seems like everything that's happening is just about you and I. It's like I know he's saying that more of a everything's kind of focusing on the two. But I'm, I took that as, yeah, that's what this movie is really just kind of eventually about these two. Right. And I really that really resonated for me. So I, I keep it in that same family of Interstellar, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and this film to me create these great sci-fi stories that ultimately still come down to human beings. That drive the story.
2: Yeah, and I've probably said this before. I need to give Interstellar another chance um, because it sounds stupid, but I think the reason – I know one of the reasons the movie affected me differently or I didn't like it as much and was a big critic of – because I felt like I kind of knew where it was going the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like, if you see the usual suspects and you already know kind of what the, what the joke or what the end thing is, yeah. then it kind of takes away from your enjoyment of the movie. Mm-hmm. So not going to see it in, seeing it a second time, I think maybe I would be rewarded by some of the things you talked about, the human yeah. aspect. And I think there were, were. were some parts of that movie that I did like, whereas this movie, I kind of didn't know where it was going. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough that I was kept in the dark about the ending and everything and how it shapes up. So hopefully listeners, if you haven't seen arrival yet, um, you're encouraged from what Alan and I've said that you do want to go see it and you'll have a similar experience. No, to what I think have it's,
1: it's- I will say the one thing that I wish could have been done differently. It's not a fault of the film. It was a fault of the marketing.
2: Ah, Okay.
1: I, I think the shot, and this is, again, happens in the first 20 minutes of the film, Mm -hmm. the shot where the Amy Adams character is being helicoptered to the spaceship site. Yes. And you have her see the spaceship for the first time to me could have been a Jurassic park. First time you see the dinosaur moment. Because if you recall, back when Jurassic Park first came out, when we had that first scene of them driving up to see the big, huge, whatever the dinosaur is, the really big dinosaur, the first one we see. right And it was kind of breathtaking to see that first shot. To me, the shot of the spacecraft, the first time we see it, it's how enormous it is and also how kind of odd it is. Would have been such a great shot if we hadn't seen that spaceship already in the posters and movie trailers already for this movie. To me that ruined it. You know, it's like, yeah. I wanted that sense of just all to like, look at it the first time and be like, Oh man, look at a, how big it is. And look at how weird shape it is. And just odd looking it is. But again, as we're flying up to it, I'm like, well, I totally know what the spaceship looks like. And there it is. That shot would have been so impactful if it hadn't been for some of that getting out in the marketing. And it's just a shame. Again, not a fault of the film. It's a fault of how the hell. The film's marketed. Um, yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying,
2: and I agree. Um, seeing it on the big screen, if you can still make it to a the theater, it oh. does make it at least cool because you oh, still get more of a sense of scale. But I just
1: would have been so much better if you didn't know what it yeah. looks like already. So, yeah,
2: I can Because I can kinda, it's
1: like Jaws. It's like Jurassic Park. I mean, you went into these films, and you didn't really have a perfect image of what you were going to see. You didn't see the shark for the longest time. And when you did, it was kind of like jolt jolt to you. Right. Jurassic Park yeah there were some of the dinosaurs in their marketing but you never saw that big money shot of the big giant dinosaur the first time they see it um that was that was a shame I and mean, it's not a fault of the film it's just a shame the way it was handled the only nitpicky thing i've got is oh, okay. Um, <laughs> only <laughs> nitpicky thing a i've nitpick. got it's just and this is i can't say much about this without getting into spoilers oh. but i think the scene that is kind of the linchpin scene has to do with the president of China. Okay. And the Louise character. Okay. I thought that shot, that scene and that dialogue could have been handled better to make it even more impact on how the, it played in the story. Huh. The way that Amy Adams played her character in that scene, I felt opened it up to more where you could pick apart this theory of the film, mm-hmm. as opposed to it really helping reinforce what the film was doing. And again, I'm talking very vague right now, but I'll just say that that one scene kind of just after I watched it, I'm like, really, that's the way they're going to play out that scene. It's like, they could have done this a different way that would have had a lot more impact. It was a little rushed or a little rushed and a little, uh, the Amy Adams character acted surprised when she shouldn't be acting surprised. I see. Okay the surprise on her face added, I think to more confusion than necessary for the film or not confusion. It just opens up this whole, (laughs) it's a, it's a discussion I can have with a film like back to the future or some other movie that involves time that I can pick it apart. Right. And I felt like that scene allowed the film to be more picked apart than I felt like it needed to be. Um, anyway, that's just, again, nitpicky, It was a uh, story decision, and I get it. I love the concept around the ending. I just felt like the execution could have been a little tighter on how they played it out.
2: Well, and I understand what you're saying. And, yeah, I I totally get what you're saying. And I think that, again, not to beat the dead horse that is Fantastic beast. but we're going to. Something like that, because the rest of the movie of Arrival is working so well. Yeah. I, you just kind of flow over it. No, Where's fantastic agree. beasts, all these little things build up and you're just like, Ugh. it just,
1: you know, oh, it, it yeah. makes
2: you kind of takes you out of the world. No, and, that, if, if
1: that's my only point where sure. I just felt like the film maybe had a little bit of a misstep, uh, That's saying a lot <laughs> because it was, you know, this is a really good film. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I think it's great. I, uh, it is my favorite of Devin Hughes films right now. I really liked prisoners. Um, this is overshot. as my favorite of his. Enemy, I liked. I'm more head scratching with Enemy than I am anything. <laughs> but that's great. I like that. Um, I thought the it was interesting. There are a couple call, couple callbacks to Enemy in a way. Huh. Um, I thought the design of the aliens. Yeah, could see that. Was very similar. And there was one scene. It was like a dream sequence, hmm. short's dream sequence here in Arrival, where she's talking uh, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. something appears out of the corner, and it was like, oh man, that is just like. The ending scene at Enemy. Well, uh,
2: you know, a lot of directors, you know, you catch on board with them one film, and then they may have kind of a roller coaster ride, or then you get disappointed. You know, with different directors, different stars and stuff. With Villeneuve, I feel like I caught him. And he's been doing nothing but going up and mm-hmm. up and up in the roller coaster. Yeah. Prisoners, I admire, but I don't typically like, like, the suspense thriller. Okay. Like, it
1: wasn't your it wasn't your cup of tea. It wasn't
2: in my wheelhouse, yeah. you know. And it was well-made and well-shot and well-acted. Yeah. But, you know, it was you troubling. See, I did like it was troubling because really it dealt well. with kids and, like, you know. It was, was a, a tough a, one to watch. It was, you know, it was a tough watch. No, I, And it was a one-timer for me. Yeah, sure. Enemy, loved it. Yeah. Um, it was weird, but loved it. And
1: so this just keeps getting sicario was okay well, he's got a great mixture i mean look yeah. at his film filmography so far he's gone from some very you know enemy being a very thought-provoking and really like kind of very thoughtfully confusing and thoughtfully like meaning to keep you off guard of where it is then you got prisoners which is pretty straightforward but it's also kind of gritty and just yeah. dark and a lot of human uh, interaction and uh, discussion about human behavior um Sicario, you already described pretty well. And now you've got a rival that's got both sci-fi and it's got some very interesting thought, thought provoking elements to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving what he's doing. So it's great. And I definitely want to check out. Here's hoping Blade Runner just
2: keeps going up. I hope so. <laughs> I really,
1: right now my feeling is they've picked the best person they possibly can to do a Blade Runner film. I would agree. I mean, it's his to mess up at this point, you know? Um, so anyway, that's a, uh, that's a rival doing better than expect. Expected in the box office, which is good. It stuck around a lot longer than I think people expected it to in the, in the movie uh, theaters.
2: It stuck around a lot longer than I expected it would yeah.
1: because I walked
2: out and I loved that movie. But because of what it asks of the viewer, because of the pacing, I thought, you know what? I don't think this thing's going to do very well. I
1: think people are connecting but with it okay. I'm so glad. So they're doing all right. So that's Arrival. So uh, we recommend, both of us, wholeheartedly recommend you definitely go check out Arrival. Absolutely. So let's take a quick break, Chris. We're done with our two main reviews. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll hit some movie news, and we'll wrap it up the show with our recommendation of the episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh
1: welcome back to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv before we get into the rest of the show just a quick reminder that this is a podcast being hosted on the mesh.tv website which is themes TV, and you can go to that website at any time and not only uh, learn more about our show and check out past episodes but you can also find out other shows on the mesh network it is a podcast network, and if the word podcast freaks you out, <laughs> don't worry. You don't need an iPod. You don't need any kind of real special thing to do to listen to these. These are free audio or video programs that you can subscribe to using a app or website or any other vehicle to uh, to listen to these things. If you got an iPhone, there's a podcast app on your iPhone. You can just search for Foot Candle Films, hit the subscribe button, boom, you're off and running. Same thing goes for anybody on the Google Android phone or any other kind of operating system. If you just uh, don't want to deal with the mobile stuff and just want to go on our website and listen to a show at a time, go to themesh.tv, search for Foot Candle Films or find us in the drop-down menu, and then just click play on one of the episodes you want to listen to. And you got it playing right there on your computer. Nice and easy. We want to keep it as open and comfortable for you guys to listen to all the shows you want to. So we do encourage you to check out past episodes and uh, also check out other shows on the Mesh Network. Uh, when you have a moment. So, Chris, let's jump right back into our show. We did a review of Arrival and before that, Fantastic Beast and where to find them. We're definitely much higher on Arrival, <laughs> uh, lukewarm to negative on uh, Fantastic Beast. Right. But in the intro, uh, our little banter before we got into a review, you're talking about kind of the year end, kind of getting to the, close to the end of the year. Yes. This is about the time a lot of critics start putting together their best of list. Uh, you know, it's between now and late January. It's kind of the hot time to do your year-end list. Right. You and I have not gotten there yet. There's a <laughs> lot of films we still want to catch up on. There's a lot of films, unfortunately, because of kind of where we are. We're not in a major metropolitan city. Uh, some of these films we won't be able to see until January or February, unfortunately. However, I wanted to kind of open a dialogue with the fact that we do have some film critic association starting to name their winners already for the year. And this gives us a little bit of insight as to maybe where some of the Oscar discussion may be going. And just uh, let's kind of bat these around and see, uh, see how we feel like these predictions are going to go with regards to uh, what we may see at the Academy Awards in the coming months. Okay. So the best picture, the two pictures named by the Los Angeles film critics just okay. recently as their best pictures of the year. The winner was Moonlight. Interesting. With the runner-up La La Land. Okay. so those two I could have said probably going into that conversation that, yes, I would assume those two would be in the running for being one of the five to 10 best picture nominees. I agree. You agree with that as well. So I think we're pretty much a lock. Moonlight and La La Land are going to show up in that list that's announced in January.
2: And if I had to pick either one of those to win, having seen neither one, I would think probably La La Land, um, just because it seems like it's It's going to have been seen by more people and it's not as heavy. Not that Moonlight's not a good film, but just I think a lot of times usually best pictures have to do with numbers of people who have seen yeah. it. Also importance of subject matter, which we well, tend to think
1: Moonlight, but... And I love the fact that we're, yeah, we're talking about these films having not seen, having not seen them and, at all. But um, <laughs> Odds are La, that, La La Land being a musical in more of a classic mm-hmm. Hollywood style. Oh, that's true. You think about The Artist a few years ago. That was mm-hmm. a black and white silent film throwback to old Hollywood. Sure. And it was Best Picture. And I kind of feel like La La Land's playing in that same that same garden right now. It's let's have a very classic Hollywood trope film, but done in modern day with a little bit of an interesting twist to it and see what happens. Um, so I would not be surprised to see La La Land be the best picture this year at all. Okay. Um, but having those two in the list absolutely makes sense at this point. Um, so that's their best picture and runner up. Uh, best director is the same situation. Barry Jenkins for moonlight and Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Okay. So, Um, so again, I think we'll, I got a feeling we'll probably see both of their names in best director running as well. Okay. Now best actress, um, Isabella Huppert for L and for things to come. Now I'm familiar with L that's the Paul Verhoeven film. Uh, it's a little bit of a rape revenge film, but also kind of a psychological film behind it. Okay. It's gotten some good reviews and her performance especially has been really lauded. I don't know things to come. Are you familiar with that one? I've heard the
2: title, but that's it.
1: That's all we've got as well. But she's being, she won best actress for both of those films. So, Mm -hmm. in other words, she was just given an award for kind of having two really good performances this year. Okay. The runner up, and I'm curious about this one. I know you haven't seen this film, but I think maybe you've seen a film related to it, is uh, Rebecca Hall for Christine. The film Christine is her, the dramatic story of the newscaster who actually commits suicide on, on, uh, on the air. Right. Didn't you just recently see a documentary? Am I thinking, not thinking correctly, a documentary about this?
2: No, I've seen a lot of documentaries, but, and we'll get to that in my pick. Um, but I have not seen this one. Um, I have heard of the story, have heard of it. Um, Um,
1: there's a documentary about this. Right. And then there's this, this actual dramatic 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 scene. Well, Well, Rebecca Hall's getting a lot of acclaim for her role as Christine. And I'm, I don't know how I feel about watching the film. I'm not yeah. really excited about the subject matter. It seems like a really tough watch, but I'm interested. I'm curious about it, if nothing else. Sure. Uh, Best actor, the winner was Adam Driver for Patterson, and that is the latest uh, Jim Jarmusch film. Here, here, here
2: again, another film that we haven't seen.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen <laughs> Patterson, but that's Jim Jarmusch's new film with Adam Driver in the lead. The runner-up was Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, which is another one we still need to catch up on. Yes. As you can tell, we're woefully behind at this point. But they do it on purpose. I know. They cram them all in the last month or so here. Um, Because
2: they want things to be top of mind when it comes to award season, as opposed to something like Hail Caesar, which came out in February of last Mm, year. Yeah. We talked about um, Alden Ehrenreich, however you say his name, the guy who played Toby and that. was great. But will his performance now be remembered at all, you know, because it didn't come out in November, Unfortunately, December. No. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So that's a uh, best actor and actress. Um, looking at a couple others. Okay. Here's one. You'll be happy to hear, um, best screenplay. The winner, Yorgos Lanthimos <laughs> for the lobster. Awesome. Which I'm totally down with that. So, <laughs> uh, the runner up was Kenneth Longerman with Manchester by the sea. Sure. Um, supporting actress was Lily Gladstone with certain women. That was the, uh, uh, Kelly Riker's Reichert Kelly film. Reichert's new film. Yep. Yeah. And then Michelle Williams runner up with Manchester by the sea. Uh, See,
2: you're just depressing me now because we've seen all these movies this year that we've reviewed here on the show. some of which we really liked, like we I mean, just none talked, of them are showing up we just talked about Arrival, which I was like, you know, that's a really good movie. Amy Adams did a really good job. She's been nominated for Oscars before. Um, And I'm thinking like, yeah, this is this is going to be one of those movies that I will not have to run out and see at the last minute because, you know, I've already seen it. And now every single movie you've
1: listed, I haven't seen. We haven't seen yet. (laughs) I know. I mean, it's every single one. Uh, Like, oh, dear. Best uh, Supporting Actor. uh, Mearshala Ali for for, uh, Moonlight. Okay. who I really like him a lot. If you've ever seen House of Cards... I have. Uh, he, he plays Remy okay. in House of Cards. Okay. He's also in the Luke Cage Netflix series as uh. the bad guy and really good. So I really want to see him in Moonlight. And then uh, Izzy Ogata for Silence, which is the new Martin Scorsese film.
2: And that literally just premiered out in LA or something. Yeah. Yeah. We
1: won't see it for a while, but
2: it'll probably um, be more like a January or February thing for us. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, but he got the nod as runner up for best supporting actor. And then the last one I'll mention documentary. Okay. The winner is I am not your Negro, which I've heard of, but I'm not familiar with. Huh? Um, And the runner up is OJ made in America. Okay. So see,
2: it surprises me.
1: That Um, one you have seen
2: here again. We'll get to this in my pick. (laughs) Um, if anything, I felt like this year when they announced the nominees for documentary, I felt like, you know what? I'm probably going to be good because I feel like I've seen so many of the big documentaries this year. I feel like this year is going to be a really tough year to win for Best Documentary because I think there are going to be a lot that are going to be mm. really, really strong. Um, so it surprised me. I have not even heard of... It's I a civil
1: Rights Documentary. Okay. And, uh, I have not
2: heard of I Am Not Your Negro. Yeah. The one that I have heard of... Um, is 13th which is not civil yeah. rights but it's the whole you know discrimination 13th sure. amendment and like there's a lot to it with that so yeah,
1: now keep in mind all i'm reading are just winner and runner-up so there may have been a list of 10 or five and it's very possible a lot of these other ones were on there huh, uh, but you know that's uh that was uh, that was the one that won and the runner-up okay. the best foreign language i'll mention one more is uh the handmaiden okay. on that one so uh again all films, I have yet to see a single one of these, other than The Lobster right for Best Screenplay. Yay. And you saw uh, O.J. Made in America for runner-up to Best Documentary. And
2: that, that is, yeah, that's a really strong contender. The only thing i and a lot of people have seen it, which may help it in the Oscar race. The only thing I don't, and I know that, I think it was released at a film festival, so you could have watched like all 13 mm-hmm. hours or whatever in two big chunks. But I worry about the fact that it's not a typical movie, if yeah. that would detract from its chances it, of winning it's very
1: possible i would be i would be happy but i would also be very surprised if it was nominated for a best documentary oscar okay because i've never heard of the documentary the oscars nominating a very non-traditional format right film you
2: think you'd be surprised if it was nominated or if it won do you think it'll at oh, least be nominated? i'm gonna be
1: surprised if it's nominated really only okay. because it's a you know it's a quote tv series unquote True. that right. I just I don't I think there'll be some restriction that if it's not a traditional theatrical format film, you know, that they're not going to know I'd be I mean, I'd be happy because I want them to think a little outside of the box about some of the ways films are being done, especially in the Internet age. Right. I think some of the stuff that's being done as mini series on like HBO or Netflix are just as cinematic and worthy of Oscars as sure. a two hour film. It's almost like why are we restricting everything to just a ninety minute to two hour one time sitting film? When you've got a series like The Night Of on HBO that was only eight hours okay. long, maybe. You know, that's an eight hour movie. Gotcha. That very well could have been an eight hour movie if somebody wanted to sit through eight hours of it and it's extremely well done. You know, why is that treated differently than just because we we crammed it into two hours? You know? <laughs> That's the kind of question I think we're going to have to ask a lot about. So, um, uh, for sure. Um, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens with OJ Made in America. That's going to be a very interesting thing to watch come Oscar nomination time. Agreed. All right. So, the other news item I've got is completely flipped on the other side of the scale. Okay. We've been, you know, Harry Potter was, yes, talking about a franchise and Fantastic Beasts and all, but we've kind of stayed clear of the big commercial. Uh, Uh, geeky stuff so far this episode. Okay. I wanted to balance it out. The last news item was all about acclaimed films and critically acclaimed Oscar-nominated films, possibly. Okay. I'm just curious about this. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's getting a little closer now, so I wanted to kind of bring it up again. Universal Studios owns the rights to all of the classic movie monsters. Oh, man. You know where I'm going with this. I think, yes. You've got Dracula... You've got the Wolfman. You've got Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You've got the Invisible Man, Frankenstein, and the Mummy. <laughs> so Universal... <laughs> I'm glad you're
2: going to shed some light because I saw this come across
1: Twitter and I was like, do what? <laughs> yeah. But- so Universal is wanting to build a monster universe, much like superheroes, much like Marvel, DC, and all that. They've got this whole cast of characters. They're wanting to build a movie franchise off of this, an interconnected universe of films.
2: They can't be satisfied with Harry Potter.
1: No. <laughs> now, supposedly, this was started a few years ago with a film called Dracula Untold,
2: that and it was nobody also saw.
1: <laughs> nobody Dracula saw. Nobody yeah. saw. So even though when they promoted that film, that was going to be the start of their interconnected movie monster universe in the future. Nobody saw the film. So Dracula sho-
2: Untold. Yeah.
1: Okay. So shove it away. That never existed forget it happened.
2: Are they now, doing that now? They're that? saying don't oh, remember. Yeah.
1: They're saying this movie now, The Mummy starts it. So the movie is uh Tom Cruise. Yep, that's <laughs> Tom Cruise is directing or not oh, directing. So. He's no, he's okay. starring okay. in this and it's directed by Alex Kurtzman. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex Name Kurtzman.
2: sounds familiar.
1: He's a producer and a writer. I think this is his first time directing. Okay. He is a producer and writer for such gems as Transformer. He was a writer on *Transformers*. He was a producer on *The Amazing Spider-Man 2*, which, just in case you're keeping score at home, was Doc the Doc. worst Spider-Man movie that's been created. Oh no, 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 the, no. the more recent *Amazing one. Spider-Man 2*, okay. which was Jamie Fox and all that mess. Yes. Uh, a producer on the *Star Trek* reboot, which is pretty good. Okay. Uh, the producer on both the first and the second fan? one. He was producer on those. He's produced a lot of interesting things. He's produced both TV and films. He's written a lot of great uh, fan uh, servicing films. You know, or a lot of franchise films. Okay, but he is now directing the Mummy. The Mummy stars Tim, Tom Cruise. It is taking place in modern day. That's the first thing about it to know is that this is a Do modern. Did all the day Brandon
2: film. Fraser mummies were those throwback? Those were set
1: bit? back in the 30s. Okay, yeah, it was I'm a trying throwback to
2: off Indiana Jones. A little yes. Bit. Okay,
1: this is pretty much a. Nope. It's happening now. Okay. Um, They released the trailer this week. Have you seen it? I have. See, I've resisted temptation, I think, out of spite. Well, I just, (laughs) I don't have any take on this. I mean, uh, it doesn't look scary, which is one thing I would hope a monster series of these classic films would be. It looks like a big CGI monster, big fight movie. Tom Cruise looks very much like he does in mission impossible and he's doing stunts and And he's he's running. He's running. He's all that. Um, Hmm. I think it's interesting that in the trailer, uh, technically Tom Cruise dies and comes back to life. Oh, so whether that's a point of the film, I don't really understand. They would
2: maybe keep that secret.
1: Not the fact that he
2: dies, but the fact that he comes back, but he's not
1: the mummy. He's like a guy fighting the mummy.
2: Okay.
1: And the mummy is actually female, which I think is cool. Uh, Sophia Butella as the mummy. And then you've got Russell Crowe in there as Dr. Henry Jekyll. What? Dr. Henry Jekyll. So again, introduce a character that you know is going to have another story to tell in another film later on, Dr. Jekyll. Um, So yeah, they're starting to build this out. Supposedly Johnny Depp is in talks to be the Invisible Man. (laughs) So not to spoil anything, but if you need Johnny Depp in yet another franchise, here you go. Um, and the Pirates movie is in production, mm-hmm. too. So that could oh, be dear. that could be three big movie franchises he's in.
2: Oh, dear. I'll
1: let you at home figure out which three I'm talking about.
2: I can't. Yeah. I mean, maybe it gives me a little bit of hope that Russell Crowe has bothered to be in a mummy movie.
1: My thing is, if you're going to make it, you know, they did a Wolfman movie a few years ago with uh, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. And it was not that great. But at least it was like classic True, like a little more hard driven. Right. let really like make a cool tale out of the Wolfman. This, I watched the trailer. I'm like, okay, so it's just now they've got a mummy and the mummy's the bad guy. The mummy does a lot of destruction and does a lot of weird stuff and cool CGI. But it just didn't look scary. It's just, if you're going to do these movies, give me something scary. That's the whole point <laughs> of these monsters. You want frightening. You want like creepy. And I didn't get any of that from this trailer. I got Mission Impossible has to take on a mummy spirit. That's it. It Sounds like
2: the pitch that was probably made for. That's it. what
1: it looks like. So anyway, I'm so, not overly antici- I'm no, not overly excited about this. Okay. So that's a shame for me.
2: So I don't think I would be overly excited about it either way because I'm just not in. You know, it's just not in my wheelhouse and everything. Having said all this, do you think you know personal feelings aside? You've watched the trailer. I haven't yet. Do you think this movie is going to be a success? No. If you, ha- you think it's going to be... No, I'll tell you why. And because- no, you're not speaking like, I don't think it's going to be good. No, no. You're just saying box
1: office wise, I no. think overall this movie is going to I don't think it'll sale. be very successful. Okay. And mainly because you watch this trailer and see, and there's nothing really like, unique about it. Okay. And I think, I think they're banking on Tom Cruise to kind of help jumpstart this thing. And it right. will probably have some decent box office just because of his name. But I think you know, you, it's called The Mummy. And you had a series of called, movies called The Mummy... Not that long ago. Right. And they started out okay box office wise, but then they really dropped off after like the third film. And I didn't think they were very good. I did not like them at all. Um, I I could see this being a bomb. I really could see Hmm. this being a bomb, like a big disappointment that they're going to scrap all the other films they were going to make and kind of have to restart over again. Um, It's a shame because these are great characters. I mean, it's been really almost 75 years 80 years since we've seen some really really good films with these characters you know now's the time to do it but make them creepy make them frightening make them actual monsters not somebody who looks like they just got cgi over their face and walking through the streets and doing dust storms and all that i mean give us something creepy so there
2: was a i'm guessing because universal has the rights there was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde movie.
1: Yeah. And, uh, at some point. I mean, it, it's not as well known as the Wolfman and Frankenstein and some of those. But I mean, yeah, there was.
2: Yeah, I wonder. It mean, was an I Invisible guess Man it, movie. Yeah. Um, I guess it's all because it's a money thing, which, you know, there again, we talked about how it's a business. To me, it seems like almost a safer bet would have been to go for like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde movie. First, mm-hmm. because you have Russell Crowe, who's a known quantity. People know that actor. They've heard of Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, but you're not relying so much on distancing yourself from the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. You know what I mean? Like it seems like that, and then you could work in a Tom Cruise character or something, and then have the money. Like it just seems like I understand needing to reboot stuff, but don't have that be the first thing.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's an odd first choice. I agree with yeah. you. And even the plot, line even like for, the
2: invisible man seems like that could be yeah. somewhere to go. But.
1: I'm, I'm okay with them bringing it modern day. Cause that does give an yeah. interesting spin to sure. it. You know, the, the plot line that we know of for the mummy is, um, it'll focus on a team of Navy SEALs on a mission to Iraq who infiltrate a tomb thinking it's housing terrorists, oh. but it's a tomb and they wake up the mummy. Um, uh, or they, ha- it's housing a corpse, the corpses of grave robbers. So then, you know, you get that whole thing. Tom Cruise is leading this ensemble, leading the, the team, I guess. And they go in and they accidentally wake up the spirit. I get that. And that's cool. Make it modern day, start to have that be a chain effect where it actually kind of has a ripple effect to bring up other monsters of that era. Huh. Modern day. I just, and again, the trailer, if the trailer was at all scary looking, I would be on board with it, but it's not. It is. It looks like it could be another continuation in my mind of the old Brendan Fraser films. Okay. And that's what I'm not really excited about. So. Anyway, could see that. Um, So that's the mummy. That's the Universal Monsters franchise trying to build out again. We'll see where that goes. Sure. All right, Chris. That's all the news I've got. So why don't we go ahead and wrap it up with our recommendations? This is a part of the show where Chris and I both bring out a film that we think you ought to check out. Especially now going into the holidays, it's a good time to check up on some films that either maybe you missed, maybe ones you just need. We think you should revisit. Ones we've revisited lately and really want to bring back up some attention to. Anything goes. We just want to give you some good ideas for that next time somebody asks you, hey, what's something good we can watch over our Christmas break? Chris, what is something good we can watch over our Christmas break? (laughs) Okay.
2: Um, Disclaimer. This is something good that you can watch over a break. Um, However, not a family film.
1: Okay. Um, Good to know.
2: Yes. Uh, It is called – it's a documentary, and it's called The Witness. And it tells the story, I mean, of – the brother of Kitty Genovese, who was murdered, so William or Bill Genovese, it tells how he goes about investigating her murder and trying to find out the truth of what happened surrounding her murder and how it was reported in the media. Mm. And the documentarian, um, James Solomon, followed Bill for a couple of years as he was just kind of taking it upon himself to interview people. That may have known her find out more about his sister because he was really young when she was murdered. Mm -hmm. Although she was a big influence on his life, he really looked up to her. Hmm. And basically it was her murder, um, was kind of what generated the whole impetus behind having a 911 system put in where people could call. Because the story or the, the, what was reported in the press was that she was murdered on the streets of New York and 38 people watched and did nothing. Wow. Okay. So the 38, you know, that number being thrown around and how that was reported and how many people actually saw it or heard it. Like it's, so it's a documentary about media's role in reporting news. It is a documentary about a true crime event that did happen, but it's also the story, which makes it interesting to me about this family member learning more about Mm -hmm. the person who was murdered and kind of coming to grips with this is the story. This is how it affected my life at the time. This is how it has affected me for the, you know, however many years since the murder, the 40, 50 years since the murder. And what I hope to accomplish by revisiting these facts, these things that happened over and over again, because at one point, this is one of my favorite parts of the documentary. It doesn't spoil anything, but at one point he's talking with his other family members Mm -hmm. and they're like, why are you, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, are, what is, when is it going to be enough Mm -hmm. for you to let go of this thing that happened? And, you know, it's just a, it's interesting thing about kind of letting go and when is enough enough. Mm. And I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a really good documentary. And it is one of the ones that I would kind of be surprised if at least it wasn't nominated, but, For an Academy Award, this year has been a really good, strong year for documentaries. You know, there's the one I already mentioned, 13th. There's the two Mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know. But, you know, a film that I feel like has been talked about in critic circles that you might want to catch up with. It is available on Netflix as Mm -hmm. probably on other services as well. But it's uh, The Witness. And it came – I think it was actually worked on in 2015, but it was released in June of this year. So –
1: the witness I, I've heard about it, but I didn't, hadn't really gotten too deep into it. So sounds interesting. Um, yeah. I would definitely keep an eye out for that one. Um, mine's a little non-traditional choice and that it's not really a feature length film. Actually huh. it's only uh, six minutes, maybe <laughs> Okay, uh, just a few minutes long. It is technically an advertisement uh, for H and M clothing store, but in right away, I'm just like, okay, it's a Christmas themed commercial long short film commercial for a clothing store. H and M have no interest. <laughs> then I hear it's uh written and directed by Wes Anderson. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> well, all right. This short film is not going to come up on the list of his best work ever done, but I'll tell you in a time where the last film we had from him was the grand Budapest hotel, which was really great. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen anything else from him since then. I'm perfectly happy to have a five minute short film, <laughs> from him to kind of tide us over until he gives gives us his next film. So this is a film called Come Together. Uh it has Adrian Brody in it. Um and it's just a nice little simple Christmas story. Um told in just a few minutes. It does have the typical Wes Anderson touches, the let's pan through across the windows of a train. Uh, with a single camera to kind of show what everybody in their different car compartments are doing in different windows. Right. Bury West Anderson right away from the very beginning, but it's a nice little film. It's great. I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, again, it, you put together the best work of Wes Anderson. This will not show up at the top of the list, <laughs> but it's a nice little appetizer to just kind of keep us remind us that Wes Anderson is out there. <laughs> He's still working and we can't wait to see what he does next. So come together. It's online. It's free. It's on YouTube just search for Wes Anderson, come together and you'll watch it and get the family together. It's a fun little watch for a few minutes.
2: You know, I, I have been fortunate enough that I have seen it. I saw it come across the interwebs a week or so ago and I clicked on it, watched it, you know, for me who doesn't watch a lot of TV. And when I do um, like sporting events, I'm highly irritated by all the ads. Cause most of the mm-hmm. watching I do is on Netflix. Yeah. You know, for me to seek out an ad for a clothing Store that mm-hmm. I haven't—I've seen their store. I've never actually bought any clothing from them. But for yeah. me to seek out their ad and want to watch it, good job, H&M. Yeah, you know, good job on paying a director. That was money well spent because yeah. it made me interested in your product. I watched the entire ad, and I have a warm feeling about your company now because you gave Wes Anderson
1: money. So, so good job, note to advertisers: this is a good way to do it. So and uh, a
2: plea, you know, Ford, Chevrolet, Honda, Toyota. Consider having car commercials done by somebody of his caliber, such yeah. that when I have to see them fifteen times during watching one ball game, maybe I won't be so irritated.
1: <laughs> so, could we have Dennis Villanova, yeah, direct a, the next Toyota commercial? That would be awesome. and take three or four minutes, and it take up the entire commercial block during a game. I think that would be amazing. That'd be pretty cool, right? Absolutely. All right, advertisers, get on it. Right. Wes Anderson's calling you out. This is the way to do it. So very nice. So that is come together again. Christmas morning. You kind of open up your gifts. You're sitting back having a little, uh, a little coffee or whatever. Put this on the TV. Let everybody watch it. It's like a little fun thing it's to a watch. Definitely
2: a little fun thing to share with relatives. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So that is our show. So the witness and come together, two different emotions to play with, you know, one a little more intense and uh saddening, saddening. The other one, a little more uplifting and happy. But they're both available for you to watch either online, through Netflix, YouTube, whatever service uh, you need. So that's our show for today. The Arrival. Well, just Arrival. It's not The Arrival. It's, that's the Charlie Sheen movie from the 90s. This is just Arrival. <laughs> right. Arrival. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Come Together and The Witness. That's the films we talked about. Tom Cruise is in a mummy movie. There's a lot of really big, critically acclaimed films that Chris and I have not seen yet.
2: Maybe we'll get to review them before the end I hope of the year. So.
1: That's kind of the summary of our, of our podcast episode today. Uh, as always, we encourage you to reach out to us. And Chris, if somebody were so inclined, what methods and routes should they take? Well, you can drop
2: us a line at info at the Tell us what you liked about the show, what you want us to review in upcoming episodes, or feedback about how we got something wrong, which, you know, I guess occasionally happens. Um, Alan mentioned previously that our episodes are at um, the website, www.themesh.tv. You can find all the episodes that we've done, which we have tons of them now. Um, you can go back and listen to our review of the documentary Gleason, which came out earlier this year that Alan and I reviewed that we both liked favorably that could also be considered for an Oscar. But uh, that's yet another way. You can just go to the website and see our back episodes. Alan and I are also on Letterboxed.com, mm-hmm. where we – You know, just basically keep a log of movies that we're watching. Um, So you can follow along at home. You can. You can. And also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention FootCandleFilmFestival.com. That's the film festival that we put on once a year in September. So this year's has already passed, but we're already accepting submissions for 2017. So if you're a filmmaker, you're interested, go to FootCandleFilmFestival.com and... um, or if you're on Film Freeway, which is a service that takes submissions, that's where you can actually submit your film. Yeah. So.
1: Absolutely. We are excited about this year's film festival coming up. Again, we're already accepting submissions, so send them our way if you are a filmmaker or know of someone that would be interested in doing so. All right, Chris, we're going to go and wrap it up. Again, thanks for checking us out. Visit TheMesh.tv for other shows and episodes you can listen to, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in the ticket
2: line.